0: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
2: The first guest of the evening is truly a poet. He's an artist. He is a friend and an inspiration to anyone who I think has
0: ever played the guitar or tried to write poetry. Would you please welcome Gordon Lightfoot?
1: In my fashion,
0: I have been a good man. I have loved and I have lost. Ever after, I will be remembered, in my fashion, in my way. There have been times I have seen the reaper, in the bad times and in the good. I have bent down, I have touched the ground, saying prayers and touching wood. This is Carefree Highway Revisited, the show that celebrates the work of Gordon Lightfoot song by song. I'm your host, Mike Messner, and along with me today, making her fourth appearance on Carefree Highway Revisited is Deb Radwan. Deb, thanks so much for being back on the show.
1: Thank you for having me. I love it.
0: All right. Always good to be talking with you about Gordon's stuff. In My Fashion, uh, this is from The Shadows album. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. The reason that I liked this song is that he's trying to redefine himself more as an adult contemporary singer. He's not just a folk singer. And to me, that actually indicates that he's willing to change and he's willing to be flexible and extend his boundaries as an artist, rather than just going with a formula, which by the early 80s, had begun to go a little bit out of vogue. So Mm -hmm. I appreciated his musicianship on that. What about you? Why did you enjoy this song?
1: Well, I agree that he is getting away from a little bit of the formulaic folk sound. It's a little bit of a deviation from that. And especially with throwing in a little spoken word in there, which we'll get to. I like the song in general, just because I like any of his autobiographical tunes. You know, where he is telling us right from himself where he's at and what he thinks, and telling us what it was like and how he feels about it. That's the appeal to me. It's interesting that as a
0: man of 44 years old, or you turned 44 in 1982, he was already being retrospective. Um, mm-hmm. was already looking back at his life. And certainly he had packed a whole lot of living into the time that he had had at that particular time. So I thought that was a kind of an interesting juncture in his life for him to do that. Now, I know that you listen to a lot of your music in the car. Is this one that you would put on a
1: road trip playlist? Absolutely. I, I like singing along with it. I like hearing it. But, you know, I'd listen to it in the house, too. I just
0: really like it. I've never seen this performed in concert. And I think that was where I would like to see it perform, where I'd want to listen to it as the opening song at a Lightfoot concert. I've Uh, heard it
1: many times in concert, mm -hmm. but never opening. See, I think it would be a great
0: opening song. Um, and I kind of see it, you know, kind of Labor Day weekend where it's warm, but you realize that fall is in the air. It's early evening. So there's still daylight. Mm -hmm. It would be a small venue uh, and he would come out and he would do this. This would be the first one. And that to me would be the ideal place to hear it. I mean, I've listened to it at home. I've listened to it at work. I haven't listened to it in the car, so I might have a different reaction to it if I Mm -hmm. did. But that to me would be the ultimate. Maybe I'll get my chance. Maybe I won't. We don't know, at least from the sources that I looked at, we don't know a whole lot about what the writing process was for him. But we do know that he was quoted in Nicholas Jennings' book about it. And I'm quoting directly from Jennings here. He said... It recognizes my responsibilities as a human being, the people I've been very closely related to in my life, like my family, my relatives, my two kids by my former marriage and that sort of thing. It's a song about where you recognize that you've not cut all ties, even though things have not worked out the way people would have liked, that everything is being looked after and things have not just been cast to the wind. And then Jennings also said one critic cleverly described in my fashion as lightfoot's my way concluding that despite everything heard to the contrary he was not such a bad guy and i thought that was interesting that he made that comparison because it, my way i was associate with either elvis or with frank sinatra, frank sinatra and that they're singing it at the very end of their careers and in elvis's case it was just days before he died and so I don't think he had that in mind, Lightfoot did when he wrote this. What are your thoughts on how the song got written?
1: Well, I have an excerpt from Songbook, The Liner Notes. Mm -hmm. And in it, he says, good song, good big statement about life in general. Gotta carry on. It's an optimistic song. Another one of those songs that shows up in every concert. One of many themes that he has is this carrying on, gotta move forward. Got to take care of things. I got to press on. And even in interviews, he'll talk that way that he's got to keep moving forward and he likes getting out there. He doesn't want to stand still. So even though this is a song about looking back a little bit, it is a song about also moving forward. And it does talk, I
0: mean, as the lyrics go on, it does Mm -hmm. have a little bit more of a forward edge Mm -hmm. to it. But If you had to give one word for it, I would say it is a retrospective song, but it's not entirely, it's not glorifying the past, I guess is what I mean by that.
1: I think in a lot of his songs, it's just, he stops and makes a statement about what his life has been up to that point. We saw it in Painter Passing Through, Oh So Sweet. Now here, he's only 42. So in this song, it's a little bit more, I think, limited to his family life, his love lives, things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, he does talk about his family. He
0: does talk about people that he's loved. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not talking so much about his career as he would, you know, maybe in the other songs. But that's a good place for us to jump into the lyrics Mm -hmm. and look at them a little bit in my fashion, I have been a good man. I have loved and I have lost. Now, the first time I heard this, the fact that he's saying in my fashion, I've done this, it sounds as if he's not really copying to it, but it sounds like he's saying without saying the stereotypical good man would not make any mistakes, would not love and lose. He would just love and be loved in return. And yet he's saying in my own way, I've done this. I just haven't done it. I haven't been a good man in the way that the storybooks might say, or the way that society Mm -hmm. might say. And in my fashion, I've done this and that. And as we know, his experience didn't meet the storybook you know definition of right. a good man or a good father or things like that he wasn't married at this time when he wrote the song okay and he wouldn't get married again until about 7 years later so he may be looking back at his relationship with Britta his first wife mm-hmm. or with Kathy Smith and ironically the year that this came out is the same year that she accidentally overdosed John Belushi. So I thought that was kind of an unkind coincidence with that. So do you have any thoughts on that first segment of that first couplet that I just mentioned?
1: Yeah, I think he's saying, with my life and who I am, I've done the best I could. I've been a good man, as good as I can be. Now, we all know that there were some trips and falls in the relationships and everything. But I think He's saying, in general, I'm a good person. I've loved, I've lost, I've been good, I've made mistakes for who I am. That in my fashion, it's like him just saying, I've done the best I could for who I am. For what's happened to me in my life, for where I've been, I've done the best I could.
0: We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about in my fashion. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners is that song
1: really a cover what instrument are they playing there what do those crazy lyrics mean if you're the kind of person who thinks about stuff like that you're in luck because i've got
0: just the podcast for you how good it is chooses a single song each episode and takes a dive into the story behind the song and the artist who made it famous i'm claude call you can find me in your favorite podcast software or just point your browser to howgooditis.com
1: how good
0: you know, there's a cliche, I think, you know, he's been the best Gordon that he could be. Yeah. And I think that's probably the case. And so this is coming from a genuine place when he's saying yeah. this.
1: I don't think it's boastful or anything. I oh, think no, it, no. it's just, this is where I've been. And I, I think I'm a good man, but I've loved, I've lost much like most human beings on the planet. You oh know? yeah.
0: I mean, who among us can say they've never made mistakes? I mean, right. that's Ever after, I will be remembered in my fashion, in my way. And it it doesn't sound boastful at all, but it does sound like he's resigned to what he has done that others may not completely approve of in terms of his relationships with women, his being in a way an absentee father, and maybe his alcoholism, although that's a little bit less clear in what he's doing here. The next verse to me is the most fun to think about, because it says, there have been times I have seen the reaper in the bad times and in the good. And when I think about the reaper, well, there's only one context in popular culture where you think about the reaper, and that's the grim reaper. Right. And I'm wondering if he had had any near-death experiences at the time. Clearly, he was going to have some in his later years. But I don't remember that he had had too many near-death experiences by 1982. Do you know of any?
1: No, I don't think so. But he does talk about his drinking in interviews and says, if I kept going the way I was, I was going to die. He has said that. So I think maybe he's referring to that, that, he knew that his drinking was not taking him in a good place. Now, the other thing, though, that I wanted to say about this was when you pull up the lyrics, if you read it like poetry based on the grammar of the sentence, it says, there have been times I have seen the reaper in the bad times, comma, and in the good, I have bent down, I have touched the ground saying prayers and touching wood. So if you read it the way the grammar is, he's saying, I've seen the reaper in the bad times and in the good, I've been on my knees praying and whatever we think touching wood is. So if you read it the way the grammar is, it's a little different. If you read
0: it as straight poetry, yes. Yes. And unfortunately, if we're listening to it as listeners to a song, we can't appreciate that. That's right. But yeah, I mean, I really think he could have published this as a poem, Mm -hmm. you know, and it would have had a completely different. That hadn't occurred to me, but I really like that. So he may be using just a little bit of hyperbole where he wakes up from a hangover or with a hangover and thinks he's going to die. That is not an uncommon occurrence for people who drink a lot. I Um, I just
1: think it's he's seen his life. There have been times he's known if I don't stop this, I'm going to die. In those moments, he's seen the Reaper, and in the good, he has bent down, gotten on his hands and knees. And we're gonna to come to
0: that, yes. you know, it just right now. He uses the word times twice here. And I know that writers that I talk to, they try not to use the same word, you know, mm-hmm. more than once in a song. I can remember that Paul McCartney, when he was writing Hey Jude, that part of it was the movement you need is on your shoulder. And he said to John Lennon, oh, I'll fix that. I'll fix that. And Lennon said, why would you want to do that? And McCartney said, well, I've used the word shoulder once. And it's a stupid expression. anyway. It sounds like a parrot or something. And so when I saw him use the word times, I mean, that close to each other, I thought to myself, maybe he just couldn't think of another way to say it. But the fact that he's using the word times again, I thought to myself, did he have any problems writing this song? in terms of more lyrical variety. I don't think it's writer's block necessarily, but I just thought it was interesting that he kept
1: on using that term. Is that something that you'd considered? I hadn't. It does bring up a good point. Gordon is such a poet that it seems like there could have been another word put in there rather than saying the same thing over. It didn't occur to me because I think you're writing a songs, you've got so many syllables, this fits. So you you use it. But you know, I think you make a valid point. And, you know, it's not
0: slamming him. I just thought Mm -hmm. it was interesting that you use that. Then the next part of that verse goes, I have bent down, I have touched the ground, saying prayers and touching wood. Now you put those two together And again, if you look at it as a poem, it may have a different meaning, but if you just listen to it, saying prayers and touching wood, if you're touching the ground, that implies that you're down, I suppose you could be touching your toes, but let's say you're either kneeling down or you're sitting on the ground or you're sitting closer to the ground so that you can touch it. Touching wood. Well, if you're down near the ground and you're touching wood, the first thing I thought of was you're touching a coffin, someone else's coffin. And so is he bending down to put his hand on someone's grave? Was he kneeling down in a church context? That was one thing that I thought about. And then I wondered, he's bent down, he's touched the ground, saying prayers and touching wood. And I thought, what does this have to do with seeing the reaper? Again, I'm not really sure where that was going, but I'm wondering if you'd examined it.
1: Well, again, I think I looked at it as a poem. So he's saying in the bad times, I've seen the reaper. And in the good times... I've fallen to the ground and prayed and touched wood. So the wood made me either think of a religious image, like a cross, or just going from seeing the reaper to getting down on the ground and touching earth and praying and trees and nature and all that. I don't really know what that line means, but those are the connotations that I get is either a religious reference, or more like nature, getting down on your knees, because that seems the opposite of death. Yeah. He's, I mean,
0: is to touching be, life or to be reaching towards some source of life, whether it's yes. nature or whether it's Christ or whether it's right. some other right. source of life, as opposed to going under the ground. Yes. Which is the way the metaphor could also be taken. Right. And we know that he's a great I don't want to say he's a naturalist, but he certainly has a huge appreciation for the outdoors and for nature and for creation. Mm -hmm. He does have a religious background in that he sang in church when he was a young boy. I don't know that he's ever been a regular churchgoer as an adult, but I can't help but think he's, I think, spiritually conscious, would be the way that I would put it.
1: And for all I know, maybe he's talking about his canoe. In the bad times, I've seen the reaper. And in the good times, I've touched the ground and I've gotten in my canoe and gone and communed with nature. So I'm not quite sure what what that is. But to me, it's either a nature reference or a religious reference.
0: We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about In My Fashion. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners.
2: Hey, do you like classic albums? So technically, like, the, you know, the 20th century albums, um, such as, like, Beatles, Led Zeppelin, <laughs> Rolling Stones. I've only had Beatles episodes so far, however, I'm be doing more. But welcome to my show, or rather, hey, welcome to check out my show. <laughs> um, all those years ago, a classic album podcast with the dipping sauce... Um, as you can see the the George Harrison reference, um, I review classic albums, um, not of those the likes of Beethoven, the likes of the Beatles and Rolling Stones, and like I mentioned earlier, uh, what have you. Um, so yeah, check it out. It's every Monday. Um, I do albums, conspiracies, songs, all that jazz. So just check it out. All those years ago, a classic album podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs)
0: In my fashion, I have been a father. I have loved and been loved in return. And that's beautiful. And he talks about that in Sit Down, Young Stranger. My love was given freely and oft times was returned. And the only question that I had was, was he talking about he had been loved by the mothers of his children? Because we know that he had children with Britta. We know he had children from other relationships with women he was not married to by this time, or was he saying he'd been loved by his children themselves or both? Any one of those three would make sense.
1: Yeah. I tend to think when I heard the song that he's talking about his children because he says in my own way, I've been a father. Mm -hmm. I've been loved and I've been loved in return. And from the ashes, I kept the home fires burning even after all was said and done with the ex-wives or the ex-girlfriends, I kept it going for the kids. So to me, that stands as is about him as a father. Now,
0: let's stop there for just a second, because mm-hmm. this is something that I'm not clear on in his biography. He did have kids, but then... He was also on the road, whether he was married or not. He had Mm -hmm. to be on the road. Certainly during his stardom years of the late 70s, he couldn't help but be on the road. right? And so I wonder what keeping the home fires burning meant to him in that context. Keeping his children in mind, I would think would be at a minimum, but I just wonder what that meant to him, apart from just saying that he loved his kids, because he wasn't there for them right. the way that somebody like a dad who had a nine to five job would be. Right. So, any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I know in um, recent years, he's talked about how he had to go back and make good with his kids. But I know that he ended up having good relationships with his ex-wives and ex-girlfriends. I think when Britta died, he was very upset. He wrote songs about his kids for his kids. I'm hoping that since he wrote those songs, he had an opportunity to sing those songs to his children at some point. So I'm assuming that there was a relationship, certainly not an everyday coming home and having dinner with the family, but that there were efforts to keep in touch with the kids. I know when I was at a concert, it had to have been 20 years ago in L.A., And he introduced his one son who was living in L.A. So I think he made considerable effort to keep in touch and keep the relationship there, even if it wasn't all that he wanted it to be because of his absences and his drinking, maybe. Who knows? But I think the effort was definitely made. And certainly in his later years, that was a key focus for him.
0: Yeah. And it does tie into this whole idea of in my fashion, I was a father and I did keep the home fires burning in my fashion. My fashion. Right. Because he couldn't be there in the traditional sense. That's right. To keep the home fires burning. And there was nobody there for a very long period in his life to keep Mm -hmm. the home fires burning. That's right. So when I first read this, I thought, he's making excuses for himself. Now I look at it and I'm saying, no, he's just saying, this is, I've done what I could given the circumstances. And he's not exactly apologizing, but he's also not holding himself up as the paragon of being a husband or a father.
1: I think he's just saying, this is the way it was. And that's how I'm going to be remembered in my fashion. I did the best I could. Under the circumstances. And his
0: public loves him for it because I don't think Lightfoot has ever pretended to be anything other than he is. He's been straightforward. Now he's failed at being himself fully at times because of character flaws that we all have. But I don't think he's ever tried to be anybody other than the singer from a really- Right. Now we get to the spoken part of it. And this was the most jarring part of the song for me because you're not used to hearing gordon doing talking within Mm -hmm. his songs now i love his speaking voice Mm -hmm. and i've heard him do radio interviews and i've seen him do television interviews and things like that and i love to hear him talk but i just wasn't used to hearing it in the context of this and he says now take a look at me, do I look like the kind of guy, the kind of fool who went to school and had to stand on a stool because he couldn't come to terms with a slide rule? And now I'm just thinking he's spitballing at this point. I don't know whether he had written that or not, or whether he was just thinking, well, I need something to change the pace of the song.
1: I think it's still talking about in my way. Do I look like this kind of a guy? He's different. And I think this is just another way of talking about his way of doing things or looking at things or the way his life was. Now, the only thing I really didn't understand on this is, is he saying, he says, now take a look at me. Do I look like the kind of a guy, the kind of fool who went to school and had to stand on a stool because he couldn't come to terms with a slide rule? Is he saying he was that guy or he's not that guy? And not only that, but it does bring
0: up the question, I mean, what was his school experience like? Not Mm -hmm. his time at Westmont, but Mm -hmm. his time in Canada. And being an educator myself, I look at this and I think about how much education has changed. He was a student in the 40s and the 50s. And while I can't claim to know a whole lot about Canadian education, I can tell you that American education during that time was very much based on compliance. It wasn't about learning in that sense, as much as it was sit up straight sit down, shut up, open the book, follow the rules, follow the rules. Yeah. And, you know, it was through discipline. It had nothing to do with relationships. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with what's the way you learn. Right. You know, it had nothing to do with nurturing. It was all about, we're going to kind of whip you into shape. Yeah. Uh, and that may have been more true in religious schools than it was in public schools. I don't know what his particular educational background was. But when I heard that, I thought, okay, he's also showing contempt for the education that he had. So I'm wondering, do you know anything about his childhood or when he was growing up in school? I don't,
1: but I've always had the impression that he was a good student. He sang in church and they played his song over the loudspeaker. And I just always had an impression he was well thought of as a student. So when I read this, I read it one of two ways. Either he's saying, do I look like a fool who couldn't come to terms with a slide rule? Take a look around again. Is it any different now than it was then? So he's either saying, I was that kind of a fool who couldn't come to terms with a slide rule because my heart was in the arts, was in music, was in expression. Or he's saying, I don't look like that kind of guy, but I can come to terms with a slide rule. And I've been able to support myself and make money and everything. So I don't know which one he's saying. I kind of tend to think that he's saying, I'm not a slide rule guy. I'm an expression, arts, music, feelings, not math and science.
0: We'll be right back to our conversation with Deb Radwan about In My Fashion. But first, a word from one of our podcast partners. Class is now in session. Question. What North American nation was once richer than the entire United States? Answer. Haiti. Join Seth Donnelly, Pierre Laboisier, and me as we explore the triumphs and struggles of this vibrant country in Fais la Force, a new podcast from the Western Skies Podcast Network. That's F A I T L A. F-O-R-C-E. Available on Buzzsprout, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I think that is very consistent with the character. I mean, he really is a creator. He's an artist. He is a painter passing through, and he's a poet. All those adjectives that apply to him. He's not a technician. He's not a scientist. He's not somebody who inserts tab A into slot B. His tone of voice in this, he sounded just a little arrogant, like he was sneering a little bit. And that was another thing that I found just a teeny bit off-putting. Yeah. And so I'm wondering, I have to say
1: it out. Did it sound to you like he was drunk? No, it didn't. And it didn't even sound arrogant to me. To me, it sounded lighthearted and playful. And certainly when he doesn't concert, it sounds playful. But the one thing I was going to mention, too, was even when he did that BBC concert and he's getting ready to sing Miguel, he says, remember the poem that we learned in school? And he starts reciting it, The Highwayman. And the highwayman came riding, riding up to the old door," And he has that poem memorized. And I thought, this is so in keeping with someone who's into the arts. He probably really excelled in literature and reading and poetry and all those things and probably couldn't come to terms with the slide rule.
0: Well, yeah. And I mean, the slide rule had passed out of right. schooling by the time I got to school. But I mean, My I sisters couldn't...
1: used a slide rule.
0: No fooling. Well, I can tell you that when I look at it, I mean, I'm intimidated by mathematics in the first place, but to look at a slide rule, I'm just thinking what on earth is this? So I can understand why he would have done that being the kind of man, the the kind of boy he was and the kind of man he is. And then it finishes up with that repetition in my fashion. I have been a good man. I have loved, and I have lost. And ever after I will be remembered in my fashion, in my way. And he does use some background singers, although he Mm -hmm. doubles his own vocals also. The song originally appeared on Shadows, which came out in 1982. The album got to number 16 in Canada. It got to number 87 in the United States. It was very well-reviewed when it came out and it had some great songs on it, but it just didn't sell particularly well. And the song was released as a single. I think Baby Step Back might've also been a single from that record, but the single did not chart in either the US or Canada, which I thought was kind of interesting because it certainly has the feel of a hit single Mm -hmm. poppy, but I think the tastes of the audience in 82 we're a little bit more into technology and new wave stuff mm-hmm. than something that was powered by an acoustic guitar, which this song is right. What's your favorite musical aspect of the song? Cause we've talked a lot about the words, but the, for yeah. the music, what really does it for you?
1: Several times, especially toward the end where all the guys come in and really just this cacophony of different sounds and, I like that little explosion of sounds if I'm making any sense. Yeah. Um, It's got a good beat. And I feel like I'm on American bandstand. It's got a good beat and it's (laughs) good sound. (laughs) It is
0: rhythmical, but all of his songs are. That's Mm -hmm. the joy of playing a 12 string guitar. If you can play it and if you can keep it in tune, it's as percussive an instrument as you can get. For me, the intro is the thing that really got me. And it mm-hmm. really says to me that he still has at 44 years old, which is when this came out, mm-hmm. he still has some really good pop sensibilities because he realizes that if you can do something with moving chords and it sounds like classic Lightfoot, but it has more of a rock beat to it. Yeah. I mean, he realizes that there's still a taste for that, even though it's not going to be a number one anymore. So I can hear that. And that's the thing that I liked about it musically. Mm -hmm. Speaking of the music on this record, and we don't know exactly who played on what track, but we do know Lightfoot was uh, singing vocals. He did some of his own harmony vocals. Rick Haynes was playing bass, Terry Clements, lead guitar, Barry Keene, drums and percussion, somebody who's still with the band. Michael Heffernan was playing keyboards and synthesizer. Pee Wee Charles, still with the band at that point, doing steel guitar and dobro. Dean Parks and Patrick Miles both played electric guitar. Dennis Pendrith played bass on some of the tracks. Robbie Buchanan was a synthesizer player. Victor Feldman did percussion. And then Herb Peterson or Peterson did harmony vocals. So, again, this is sort of a transitionary album for him because he has Terry Clements and Pee Wee Charles. And this is towards the end of their tenure with the band. Mm -hmm. But then he's got Rick and Barry and Michael who are still with the band as Mm -hmm. we're speaking today. So you could say that this is kind of the changing of the guard Mm -hmm. for Lightfoot's music. Okay. Now we come to the great guessing game. Okay. Gordon's great guessing game. I think I will call it that from now on, on the show without cheating. How many times has Gordon played this song in concert?
1: Well, he's played it in concert. Most of the time in the last 20 years, I would say it's in excess of 400. Very good. Yes.
0: 485 times according to setlist.fm. First time he played it was well in advance of this song coming out. First played it in July of 1976 at the Mississippi River Festival. So my guess is that he probably felt like he could do that. But he hasn't played it since July of 2014 in concert. The last time that we know of was at the Bergen Performing Arts Center in Englewood. But I would welcome him playing this again. Mm-hmm. And you said it's one of those songs. I mean, I guess in the songbook notes, he said, you know, it's one that he does right. in concert quite and a And I've bit. heard
1: it many times.
0: Yeah. So I would like to hear him mm-hmm. play it in concert. And I would love to hear him open with that if he chose to do so. But he hasn't done it in a while. And I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay. No one has covered the song as of right now. For me, there was only one artist that I thought might sound good doing this. And this is Judy Small, who is an Australian folk singer, also an attorney. She's been out of the music business for a little while, but she plays in much the same style. And Mm -hmm. I think her vocal range would match this. Now, I don't know if she would have the same relationship to it, Right. Because I don't know how retrospective she is as an artist. But when I was listening to this, I thought, OK, I'm hearing Judy Small. Now, what about you? Is there anybody you'd like to hear cover this or you think could do a good job on it?
1: You know, I've been thinking about this for a couple of days because I knew this question was going to come up. I really have not been able to come up with anybody. You know, if I pick someone, I want them to have some relatability to the song. Mm-hmm. And I just really couldn't come up with anyone who was relatable and who had a similar, not exact, but similar sound that could pull it off. So I just really couldn't come up with anybody. You know, as we're sitting here, Deb, it occurs to me that at one
0: point in the 80s, Lightfoot wrote some songs and gave them to Kenny Rogers and said hey you take these and kenny rogers turned them down yeah and i'm wondering if this might have been one of them that's an interesting
1: idea well maybe we can follow up on that you know next time yeah you know who might know this is kevin hester so if kevin hester is listening He might have the answer to that question. All right. Well, Kevin, post something on one of the Facebook groups. You know, get you
0: there. (laughs) Deb, any thoughts as we're sort of wrapping up where it belongs in the Pantheon, how it compares and contrasts to the others that we've done in this little series?
1: Yeah. You know, I really like it. It's not one of my favorites, it's not one I don't like. I I like it. but it definitely is, I don't think, quite as mature emotionally as painter passing through or oh so sweet. I think it's a little bit, I don't want to say premature because certainly he had a story to tell at that point in his life, but he was 42. So, you know, you're looking at 20 years instead of 50 years. Yes. You know, and saying, what worked out, what was for the good, what was for the not so good, what do I take responsibility for, what would I have done differently? I think he was still too young and still had too much to live and things to go through to reach a little bit more of the maturity that he has in the later songs. Having said that, I love the song. You know, it's a great song. I always like these autobiographical songs because it tells you what they're thinking at that time about where they're at, where they've been. And so I love it. And that says it all. I mean, I
0: love it as well, but I do think that it's sort of a premature retrospective song as compared to the other two. Those are much more complete retrospection. I liked the song. I just thought it's a little bit like writing your will when you're 21.
1: Right. Or your memoirs. Your
0: memoirs. I mean, you you ain't memoired enough. (laughs) (laughs) Deb, Radwan, always a joy. And thank you so much for making the time today. We will be back next time. All right. Very good. And thanks for listening, everybody. If you liked this well enough to listen to the whole thing, tell somebody about it. Carefree Highway Revisited is on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can reach me, Mike Messner, at teachermike72 at gmail.com. Our next episode will be focusing on Ordinary Man, and Deb will be back with me for that one also as we close out this mini-series on autobiographical songs of Gordon Lightfoot. Until then, this is Mike Messner reminding you, run for the roses, but don't forget to stop and smell them. We'll see you next time.